the Jay's Journal Podcast for Friday, July the 7th. We recorded the show on July the 6th, but unfortunately could not make it available until now, but have decided to call it the Friday, the July 7th show. Things a little bit more balanced, even though there's a pretty good chance you might be listening to me this evening as well, as I do plan to have a round table this weekend. Let's talk about these Blue Jays. So last night's victory was inspirational. Over 40,000 at the Sky Dome listening and watching the team do what they need to do to compete against a substantially, substantially superior baseball club. The Blue Jays improved to five games under 500, and Houston drops to 30 games over 500. And, you know, just saying it uh, can suspend my my belief system entirely, leave me in this state of um, cryogenic disbelief, if you will. I mean, it's a testament to how strong and effective a baseball club can be during the year that the Houston Astros are literally as good as they are. It's uh, it's almost unfathomable. I mean, the team's 58 and 28, first in the AL West, and they may as well be on another planet in terms of the average fan on the East Coast appreciating what they've done. A remarkable team encapsulated beautifully by the skill, savvy, and charm of Jose Altuve. Altuve is just a ridiculous baseball player. He's small. He fits in your pocket. He's bite-sized. But man, oh man, you put him on a baseball field, and he is a mountain of a man out there, a mover and a shaker getting everything done. Uh, John Gibbons is going to have to circle every at-bat for that player. I, I almost like to treat him as I would during the last series with Aaron Judge. Just don't pitch to him. Whatever you do, concede the base on balls. You're better off walking a player of that caliber than having him risk hurt you with ducks on the pond. Uh, for the Blue Jays, big names showed up this game. Russell Martin, Josh Donaldson, Kevin Pillar, three players that I spent a great deal of time this past week talking about on other, on other shows and on the radio. Um, heroes, Blue Jays heroes needed during this time of year. And John Gibbons really put on a clinic with his management of the bullpen, the way he used Tepera, Leon, uh, Beliveau, and Asuna. I can't help, by the way, to just shake my head every time I say that name. I mean, Beliveau is just a name that was enshrined with a completely different sport, but that's neither here nor there. He used them to perfection and have now pushed the Blue Jays to within four and a half of the wild cards and uh, eight and a half uh, of the division lead. Three more games to go. A big game tonight with Aaron Sanchez stepping up and trying to show the six that he still has it. There's no reason to think he doesn't. He's cleared without those blister problems, and we certainly look forward to seeing what he has to offer. So there'll be a lot to discuss this weekend as the Blue Jays continue the series, but now we're looking at a three-game winning streak, some momentum, and management still sitting with their finger hovering above the button, kind of like a scene from Dr. Strangelove, for those of you who are a little bit more mature and weathered when it comes to your Stanley Kubrick films. Now, though, we're going to turn our attention to a guest that I have for you today that will really impress you. She is a ubiquitous figure of sorts. You see her a lot on television she is one of the best hosts and uh, sportscasters you'll find on Sportsnet. And we're going to bring her on right now, and we're going to talk about these Toronto Blue Jays. Jackie Redman is on the show. So buckle up, and let's listen to what she has to say about the Toronto Blue Jays, your Toronto Blue Jays, and her feelings on the sport, the people who participate in it, the business as a whole, and what aspiring future journalists should look for when it comes to finding the success that she was able to achieve through a combination of natural talent, tremendous experience, and a God-given desire to be the best possible professional she can be. She is a host on Sportsnet all across Canada and has been featured on the Highlight Desk, Misplays of the Month, and all things WWE. Jackie Redman is our guest on tonight's show. 
Jackie, thanks for taking the time to join me. So excited to be here. What's up? We finally made this happen. We finally did. It, it was touching yes. to go there for a while, but suddenly... I've been following the... you on Twitter for a while, oh, uh, oh, but now wow. we're actually speaking. Now, Jackie, I've been an admirer of yours since the earliest days from the score, uh, back when you auditioned for what was called Gillette Drafted, the search for Canada's next sportscasters. Tell my listeners about that experience, like what it meant to you and how aspiring male and female journalists should maybe look at your success in lieu of what you went through. Oh my goodness. So you're a, you're a way back playback, like an original OG. Um, <laughs> no, Gillette drafted, um, obviously was a huge, huge stepping stone for me. Um, it was a reality show here in Canada, um, that was basically Canadian idol or American idol, um, mm-hmm. for sports casting, the search for Canada's next sports caster. And, um, basically you did a challenge every week and every week someone got sent home. And at the end you got a one year contract to be on the air at the SCORE television television network. Now, for me, I was only, I think, two years out of school at the time. Um, So I was very, very, very green. Um, But it was, oh, my goodness, it was quite an adventure. It doesn't actually feel real to me right now talking about it. I'm like, oh, yeah, that was a part of my life. Um, But it sort of just kind of I felt like I got thrown in the fire and it was like all right well you're gonna like sink or swim um and and just see what happens and luckily for me I I did pretty well for myself and I got that contract in the end well you certainly did and I distinctly remember watching various episodes where it seemed like the male contestants were just underestimating you it seems like they were a little aloof when you first came on the scene because they figured you were really green but then as the show went on on the weekly episodes you always ended up doing something that seemed to outperform them or impress the uh the voters more than than what they were coming up with it's so funny because when I first got there I met the other uh top 10 contestants and, you know, I was shy and I was quiet and I, and I did feel like nobody thought I was a viable threat going into the beginning of this. Yeah. Nobody took me seriously. I definitely felt that and it bothered me. And then the show started and the challenges started and I won the first three of the first four challenges I won. And all of a sudden it went from nobody taking me seriously to everybody being sort of against me and having a target on my back. And I was like, okay, well now they're taking me seriously, but this doesn't feel very good either. <laughs> like they're all yeah. like wanting me to, to take a step back. But um, one of the crazy things about that show, and I learned it the first week on that show, and it's something that I have to remind myself of all the time. And I tell young people that are trying to be broadcasters or trying to break into television all the time. The first challenge that we had was a teleprompter challenge. So we were given a script and we were shown the studio direction. So we had to walk into studio while talking, face one camera, and that at a certain point in the script, we had to turn to a different camera. We had a camera Mm. turn. And I was off to a (laughs) roaring start until the camera turn, which I forgot was a thing. (laughs) I just forgot that it was part of the challenge. So the camera changed, and you just saw a side profile of me for about what felt like a year, but it Mm. was only a few seconds. And I sort of laughed, realized it, and then turned to the right camera. And I was convinced that I was going home. I messed up the challenge. I missed the camera turn. Uh, or I was late on the camera turn, like, I'm for sure going to be bottom three, and I'm probably going to go home. 
And I actually ended up winning the challenge. And Greg Sansoni, who's now the VP of programming at Sportsnet, um, when he announced that I had won the challenge, I was obviously shocked. And he said something that I've never forgotten. He was like, a lot of this business is the ability to adapt and the ability to deal with things when they go wrong. Because in television, they so often do that you have to be able to handle them. And we saw in this challenge that, you know, you made a mistake, but you realized it, you rolled with it and you, you kept going and it, and it didn't even matter. And so I kind of try to apply that now with everything that I do, whether it's live or taped or whatever that, you know, sometimes those, those little things that you think are, are huge mistakes are actually such an opportunity to kind of uh, prove how calm and collected you can be on the air um, so that's something that I've always taken away from that show. Very cool. Perfection um, is not is not the goal all the time. No, it's not. Just, uh, I guess, as much consistency of the positive things from time to time. Now, I- I'm wondering, growing up in London, Ontario, was it always your goal to end up working in this field, you know, alongside the bright lights of this big city? For me, it was always about working in sports. So I grew up... Um, very close with my father, and he had me listening to talk radio probably at about eight or nine. I would listen to the post-Leafs call-in shows and the post-Jays call-in shows on the radio. And he would always, you know, these these random people would call in and they'd ask a question about the game or about the direction of the team or if we should trade somebody. And, And my dad would always let the question play out, and then he would ask me what I thought. And I didn't realize at the time that he was really teaching me as a young girl um, that my voice mattered. And so when I got to high school, which is obviously an awkward time for everybody, um, Mm. I just remember I was always most confident when I was in high school when I was talking about sports. And so that's when I sort of started to be like, you know what, like I'm happiest here. I'm the most confident in conversations when I'm talking about sports. Maybe this is something that I should do. And when I started having, you know, to be completely frank, a lot of um, my classmates that were boys be so shocked at how much I knew about sports, that's when I knew, okay, maybe this, is, maybe, maybe this isn't everybody. Maybe there's something yeah. unique here that I should sort of follow. And so it wasn't always like I want to be on television and be, you know, a host of misplays of the month. Um, but I knew that I wanted to be involved in sports in some capacity. And so to take media in school was, was just a natural sort of decision for me. Now, it's my understanding that your favorite sport is hockey. Where does baseball yes. fit in your heart? And what is it about the game that interests you in ways maybe that hockey doesn't? Baseball has always been, baseball and hockey have always been my two main sports. Um, hockey's always been sort of my wheelhouse, if you will. Um, which a lot of people find surprising because of how much work I've done with the Blue Jays. Um, But I grew up playing baseball. So I always liked playing baseball more than I liked playing hockey, which I played both. Um, So that's kind of where my true passion for baseball comes from. For me, it's the buildup in baseball. I love the anticipation that that builds during even just a single at-bat. And what a lot of people Mm. that don't watch baseball maybe regularly always say is that it's so boring. And I'm like, what are you talking about boring? It's like, (laughs) you know, the game builds so slowly. It's true. But I think that that adds to the excitement because you're you're building this anticipation towards a moment. 
And a great example, one of the best examples of my life, obviously, would be the bat flip. Now, that's a crazy game, and there's a lot going on in that game. But the whole game is building to something. And so what I love about baseball is that it's not back and forth, nonstop action. It is slow. But the payoff when that that home run comes that gives your team the lead, the, the, um, the impact that that moment has on you is so much greater than, like, goal of a hockey game. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, for sure. Did it I does, explain it that does. properly? You did. You did. And I'm wondering, as someone who's used to being a sportscaster every day, from the moment you get up probably to when you go to bed, are there moments like that with the bat flip where you just forget who you are and you become a true fan in that regard? Because I would imagine there's a duality for you between being Jackie Redmond, the sportscaster, versus Jackie Redmond, the big fan of a team. Oh, my gosh. Um, I'd say I blur that line all the time. But, yeah, I was actually at game five um, for the bat flip. Wow. And I was a total fan at that game. I was not a professional at all. <laughs> um, and that, that moment, it's probably, it's probably my favorite sporting moment of all time because I was, I was actually there for it. But uh, I definitely am a fan all the time. People see me at Jays games all the time. Um, and I and I act like a fan when I'm there because that's, I mean, I, I, I understand being objective and I understand that there is a line in this business, but I think that I'm lucky in the sense that a lot of the stuff I do is more on the sports entertainment side than it is on the reporting side. And so for me, I feel like I can still be a fan and, and that's okay. And why wouldn't I be? This is the reason that I am where I am. It all starts with being a fan, right? And I think to deny that, is almost kind of silly, to be honest. Mm. I agree. I mean, there's no question that this year in particular, though, as a Blue Jays fan, I'm wondering what really catches your attention for better and for worse. You have some really unprecedented access to players and management types and media personnel. As a fan, Jackie the fan, what's your impression of this 2017 team? Oh, my goodness. Um, It's I mean, and so much as you can answer that as delicately as possible, I realize it's not always (laughs) easy to do that. The thing that's crazy about this particular team is that they have been so inconsistent in every possible facet of the game Mm -hmm. that you don't know what to expect. And every time you're ready to say this season is a write-off or they're done, they turn around and they do what they did in May. Or they turn around and they take two out of three from the Yankees and all of a sudden you're questioning yourself, like, are they done, though? Because we all know that the the team has the talent to win. We all know that. They've gone to the ALCS back-to-back years and the team hasn't really changed that much since Mm -hmm. last year. So it's one of those years where expect the unexpected, I guess. I flip and flop back and forth every single week. Because that was actually that was the original name of my podcast, by the way, Flip and Flop. It seems to be appropriate for this year. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been a weird, weird um, year for the Toronto Blue Jays. But that's what I love about baseball. The great thing about yeah. baseball is that, you know, you one minute you think, oh, my gosh, this season is an absolute disaster. And all it takes is one good run to have you, you know, believing that maybe there could be, there's still something to be saved this season. Even with mm-hmm. trade value, right? A lot of people right now are like, oh my God, the Jays 
all their all of their biggest assets, their trade value has gone down. And I'm like, well, that's the great thing about, you know, people talk about Marco Estrada in April, May, and how great he was and how because he's on an expiring contract, you know, that's a guy that they should try to get something for. And now, obviously, he's he's struggling with a capital S. But <laughs> all it will take for him is a few good starts and his value will skyrocket because that's baseball. I'm speaking with Jackie Redmond of Sportsnet. Jackie, there's a great video of you playing ball hockey against Novak Djokovic online. <laughs> and along with other great, you know, videos hobnobbing with baseball, hockey, basketball pro players, uh, especially it, with uh, the Blue Jays in this spring training, you did a fantastic segment where you interviewed them and kind of did a nice retrospective of 2016. Off the top of your head, I'm wondering which high-profile athletes in this market have impressed you the most. You know, someone you've met that's made you Archer Brown say that human being is simply inspirational. Um, there have been a few people that, I mean, a lot of them have been very cool. Um, and I was definitely a little starstruck with Don Cherry. But I have a great story about Jesse Barfield. Oh. And, yes. And it really, like, I almost cried when this happened. So I didn't actually, I've met him since, but I didn't actually meet him um, in the story that I'm about to tell you. So mm-hmm. obviously, Jesse Barfield, former Blue Jay, uh, reached out to me about two years ago, I would say. And he sent me a message on Twitter. And first of all, when I saw that he followed me, I was like, what the heck is happening? How is Jesse Barfield following me right now? Uh, I need to tell my dad because, you know, Barfield was a little before my time, uh, but I'm aware of, of his uh, career. Anyways, sends me a message and says, hey, thanks for, the, thanks for the follow. Just wanted to send you a message to let you know that what you're doing is awesome. I know that you kind of approach sports a little bit differently than the traditional broadcaster, but I think that what you're doing is very unique. And even though it might be hard for you sometimes, I hope that you keep doing it because it's so refreshing and so fun to watch. And then he said, I can't remember if it was cheers or thanks. And then he signed it, Jesse Barfield, which you don't have to do on Twitter because there's a profile picture, (laughs) but I think that dates him a little bit. Um, And I just remember reading that message and being so um, touched by it because it was a genuine message from somebody that obviously was going to gain nothing from from sending me those words of encouragement. But it just showed me what kind of person he is. And anyone that follows him on Twitter knows that he's a very supportive, motivational individual. He's constantly tweeting at the Blue Jays, especially when they're struggling and, and giving them words of encouragement and sticking up for them. Um, but that was one experience that happened where he, I don't know if he caught me at the right moment or maybe I was having a moment of self doubt, but he sent me that message basically telling me like, you're, you are yourself on the air and I appreciate that and don't let anyone make you stop. And it just, it was, I'll never forget it. Something about those former Blue Jays of that era, Jackie, you know, I you know that I had Todd Stottlemyre on my show a few weeks ago, and your story just pretty much reminded me of his nature as well. These are some of the most genteel, accessible, down-to-earth, considerate human beings. And for him to do that, out of the blue like that, there's no doubt it would make anyone's day. But you, especially in this industry, for him to come and say the words that he did, I would imagine you were on Cloud9. Oh, I couldn't believe 
I couldn't believe it because, like you just said, it was really out of nowhere. I hadn't just interviewed him. I'd never met him. And, you know, to hear somebody with, you know, who gains nothing from, from reaching out to do that is, I think it just speaks volumes about Dur and, and who he is as a person. And obviously, I don't think there's a whole lot of ego there when it comes to Mr. Jesse Barfield. Uh, great dude. And, and, you know, that's one of those things years from now, I think, that I'll, I'll always remember. I noticed on your Twitter feed that you're always preaching and highlighting the importance of things like laughing as much as possible, you know, understanding that it's all about the process, spreading more love than hate, you know, keeping one's headspace as positive and forward thinking as possible. How did you interpret the news that surrounded Roberto Asuna last month? And I'm wondering what your thoughts were about what mental health really means in a field where, let's be honest, it's rarely brought up and talked about. Oh, my goodness. Well, for starters, um, I I was so shocked when I heard that about Roberto Osuna because he's such a happy presence um, at the field. So I was first I was taken aback. And my second thought was just how impressive it was that such a young man, I think he's 22, to be so open and honest about something like that in 2017 is not an easy thing, especially in professional sports. But I think it's it's a huge – I actually don't think that it's been made as big of a deal as it should have been uh, when it happened. And I mean that in a positive way because I think him saying what he said and being open about what he's struggling with away from the mound is important for everybody to acknowledge, both in Major League Baseball but also outside of it. Because I think we have this idea in society that – money and success equate happiness and it's just Mm. not true it's just not we are all human and we all you know need a lot of things in order to feel happy and feel comfortable and and for Roberto Osuna obviously nobody knows exactly what it is that is causing him this anxiety and causing him this um, lost feeling that he speaks of but I think for for young people and even people that are, you know, my age, to see somebody admitting that they're struggling with it and and looking for help is is such a message that you're not alone. Do you know what I mean? And I think when I think of, you know, people that are in high school now or elementary school and they've got Facebook and they've got Instagram and they've got Twitter and, and, you know, everyone's being evaluated based on how many likes they have and what their comments are like and, and anybody can give an opinion on anybody else anywhere and there's nothing you can do about it. I think that's a hard time to be a kid. And so for all of those kids that might be dealing with that sort of thing, bullying, whatever it might be to look at someone like Roberto Osuna that tons of kids look up to and hear him talk about how he is struggling and he's not happy all the time. lets people like that know that, that they're not alone and that it's normal because nobody is perfect, no matter what their Instagram page looks like. Like, we all have issues, like things that we have to deal with in our personal lives that affect us. And so I was actually really, really, really happy that Roberto Osuna spoke about that. And I think he deserves a lot of kudos for it. Do you find that as a sportscaster, when you're reporting sports news to your audience, that when that line gets blurred from reporting, let's say, statistics and events in a game versus talking about somebody who's got challenges with, let's say, mental health? Because we've seen a lot 
of that reported lately, and you've broken you've broken a lot of those stories. I remember you talking about the Tiger Woods incident, for example. What's it like as someone who would prefer to keep it separated like church and state to sometimes realize that you're really talking about human nature and, and the culture more than you are sometimes a baseball game or a hockey playoff game? It's just funny because, you know, sports are, are fun. And that's why I got into the business. But, you know, life imitates art and art in, imitates life. And I think yeah. in a lot of ways, you know, sports, it's the same way. And as much as, you know, you always, it's, it should just be about the game. It should just be about, you know, what's happening on the field. The reality is, is that that's not the case, you know. And so I think mm. it's important to talk about. I think it's important to tell those stories and to look at it's both positive and negative, too, not just, you know, the the sad stories of people dealing with mental health issues but but the triumphs too and who these people are and it's something that I really enjoy doing in in my field of work when I do specials is show you know more of the personality and and who these people are as people not just athletes because yeah they might be heroes to some people but they are human and they deal with the same things that everybody else deals with in life so I don't know I don't I I I don't know if I answered your question, but you did. You did. Um, I, I think it's important to just, you know, it is what it is. So, you know, when there's a story to be told, I think it's important to tell it, negative well, or positive. Absolutely, uh, especially for, as you mentioned, younger millennial audiences that maybe don't know the history behind a person. You know, we have a tendency to objectify events. It's easy to laugh at an athlete who's struggling after his post-professional career but you know full well from your experiences it's difficult isn't it making that transition from being in the limelight in the spotlight if you will and then the next thing you know a, a very dark shadow can be cast on someone that used to join us in our homes you know uh, for months at a time during a baseball season yeah I mean it's if people say it all the time especially on Twitter if I ever I find when I tweet something like I don't know, I feel bad for someone because of, I can't think of an example right now, but I tweet sympathy towards a professional athlete, and a lot of the comments are usually like, oh, don't feel bad for him, he's got millions of dollars. And I'm like, okay, yeah, he does, fine. Money's not a problem. But, yeah, what what people, you know, either choose or, or fail to think about is that, you know, you spend your whole life, when you're a professional athlete, you spend your whole life on a routine your whole life. And then you make the big leagues, you know, you're on a schedule, you've got people taking care of you, you know, you've got trainers, you've got medical staff, you've got a schedule, you've got flights and, and you're just, your whole life is planned. And then all of a sudden you retire and you wake up one day and there's no plan. There's no, there's no time that you have to be at the field. There's no plane that you have to catch. There's no, you know, workout time that you're being delegated. There's no, there's no batting practice time. There's no game time. There's just a day and you get to decide what you're going to do with it. And a lot of these professional athletes haven't had to make those decisions their entire life. Hmm. They just want to play. So um, I think that's a very, very, very tough adjustment for, for anybody, regardless of, of how much money they make. I worry about when I'm, when I retire, <laughs> what am I going to do? Yeah, no, I, think, but, I think many of my listeners do as well. That's really what it comes down to. Yeah. Cause we all need a purpose in life, right? That's part of what makes us human. And so, yeah, like some of these athletes might retire and have millions of dollars, but they still have time. That's right. And what are they going to do with it? 
Right, exactly. And how relevant will they stay? Because many of them have a certain expectation in the way that they're regarded in the media as well. It's a tough thing to let yeah. go of when you've, when you've got to say goodbye to it. It's almost um, like, you know, when you're in high school and you have to decide what you're going to take in college and you're yeah. just, you have so much stress about it because you have no idea because you're 16. I feel mm-hmm. like it's that same, uh, that same like dilemma or like size life choice, except like you're way older and way more aware of the consequences of your decision yes. and you don't know what to do. No, that's very true. And very philosophical, I might add, which is something that I think is like a bonus to this whole podcast is we're discussing deep philosophy. And people appreciate that because they don't think about things like that very often. Um, Why don't you tell me a little bit about what you're working on or maybe let my listeners know how they can find you and what to look for in, in following you on Twitter? Well, right now I'm just finishing up an All Star Week special. So I went to Joe Carter's golf tournament uh, this year. I did it last year as well. Uh, and we did a special edition of the Misplays of the Month. It's all baseball misplays from this year. And we had a bunch, there was a bunch of guys there. Uh, Joe Carter, Barry Larkin, Kenny Lofton, Derek Lowe, uh, Kurt Browning, figure skater. Very cool. Man. That Very qualifier cool, there for you. Um, tons, tons and tons. Uh, Nazem Kadri was there, Dion Phaneuf. Um, a bunch of people, and, you know, we, we had them on the show, and they, you know, reacted to some of the plays. They told us some stories from their playing days. Barry Larkin was fantastic. Um, he had some great stories. So that show will be airing starting Monday. So that's that's my big thing that I'm working on right now. Wonderful. And we, of course, will do everything we can to encourage my audience to follow you and check it out. Um, I really can't thank you enough for finding the time in what I know is a very busy schedule, Jackie. I hope you can come back soon and maybe participate in one of my baseball roundtables. Yeah, that would be great. I would love that. that, As long as you don't give me trivia from the 80s, I'll be all right. Yeah, exactly. That's like one of those Jeopardy categories where the moment you see it, you're like, I'm not winning this round. (laughs) <laughs> Just don't hold it against me and, and factor in that I'm I my age is I'm young. I wasn't around in those years. That's true. Fair enough. Fair enough. But uh, I, I wish you the best of success at Sportsnet and with all your journalistic endeavors. Thank you for coming on the show today. It was a blast. I'm surprised you didn't ask me if I would trade Donaldson or not. Well, you know, I don't normally do an addendum to the show, but I will let it keep <laughs> rolling specifically for that. How do you feel about that? Should this team trade Josh Donaldson? former MVP. Yes. Yes. Wow. I think they should. Not right now, but definitely, definitely in the off season. That's, that's, a, that's a brave sentiment because you know from having the pulse on what goes on in baseball in this city that it won't be a typical trade in any sense of the word. This, this will oh, be no, something Oh, no, people are going to be devastated by that. I mean, it'll rock people to the core. A lot of fans will just be up in arms. How do you address that, though, as an organization? Like, if you ran the Blue Jays and you knew that trading this player would all but guarantee huge negative press, are you of the opinion that that's the bullet sometimes we need to bite in order to get a better team in the future? Uh, I'll tell you one thing. I don't envy the position of Mark Shapiro, but um, I think – the reason I wouldn't trade him now is because, the, I mean, as crazy as this season's been, it's still not completely out of reach. Um, and I think if you do it now, the fan base will just be hysterical about it. But, and I understand that even trading him in the offseason, people are going to be upset about it. But you have to think about the future of this team. 
And I think the reality is if you've enjoyed the last three seasons and you want more of that winningness in your future, then you have to come to terms with the idea that Josh Donaldson just isn't going to be here in two years. He just isn't. So you can let him walk for nothing or you can say, you know what, it's been it's been a really good few years, but he's hitting free agency soon. It's going to be his last contract because he's older. And I just think there's going to be a lot of teams willing to pay him a lot of money, and I, I just can't see him him signing here. It would be nice to think that he would, but I also think based on what I know of Josh Donaldson is that guy wants to win. So if this team yeah. is not in a position to win in two years, which if you look at their roster now, it doesn't look like they will be. That said, a few moves and everything can change. I think Alex Anthopoulos proved that much. But um, where we are right now, this second, I think you have to trade him in the off season and get what you can for him. Because once you, if that, you wait, you're getting a lot less back. Absolutely. And that's what's known as Am a I definitive. crazy? What do you think? You're not. I, I think, you're, I, I, think I, I have to agree with you because of your last observation about Donaldson, which is he wants to win. So the player will not accept mediocrity. The organization clearly doesn't want to. And I agree with you. If there's going to be value and for fans to have something to look forward to with some credibility from the Blue Jays saying there's actually something to look forward to, because I'm sure you're more than aware there is talent on the farm. It's just going to take maybe one, two, possibly three years for fans to appreciate just how much of it is there. So I I think my listeners hearing straight from you, that it's a good idea and that sometimes you <laughs> just, you know, I just realized how much pressure I put on it. And the number of people probably come out saying, Jackie Redmond thinks it's probably You're a crazy. Yeah. But you know, I, I know my listeners and I can tell you, they'll appreciate how Frank and how prudent the opinion is. If you really want success in the long term, because this team, well, listen, let's just say the last time, the next time you and I chat about this, I'm sure we'll have a completely different opinion one way or another. Well, that's baseball, right? <laughs> that, that's it. That's, like that's things baseball. Change that's so right. quick. I mean, Shapiro could go out next week and go all double-A Alex Anthopoulos and make four trades and bring in some amazing pieces, and then all of a sudden it's a different conversation because then you're saying, oh, my gosh, this team could actually contend this year or next year, so now you've got to keep Donaldson because you're contending. But where this team is right now, in this moment – I don't, I don't see them contending next year. Jackie, but, I'm already, I don't know. Maybe I'm, already, I'm crazy. I'm already working on the segment. Like I said, if this is how strongly and passionately you truly feel about what could happen next, I'm going to have listeners clamoring that they want you on as often as possible because that's what people <laughs> need to hear. No, you're telling it like it is, which is really refreshing coming from somebody who works for a living in the mainstream media because we don't always get the right messages we get perhaps maybe the best sugar-coated ones and something tells me you're just not that way in your personal life (laughs) you tell it like it is i just can't help how i feel and also (laughs) this is the last thing i'm going to say about it yes when donaldson's contract expires i think he'll be like 30 he'll be turning 34 if i'm not mistaken yeah you're right and i just don't know if if i i don't know if your team's not contending for two or three years after that, then you're talking yeah. about somebody that's 36. And we've seen Bautista this year. How old is he? 30. Yeah, he's going to be he's going to be getting up there. I believe he's going to be 38, 38. maybe. Yeah, so he's going to be about so, 30 I mean, years old. Yeah, but I mean, it's always 
you know, it's always hard to, to make these, you know, to, to form these opinions now. It's always easier to do in hindsight. But but right now that's how I feel. Absolutely. I'm I'm glad we, we had a chance to cover that because not only is that going to make the show, but I'm going to edit it in such a way that people will appreciate that you might be one of the best aficionados on all things Blue Jays because that was just a long run of relevant information <laughs> that a lot of people refuse to listen to, right? Because fans don't want the fan favorites to leave. They're fan favorites for a reason, right? And you know the love affair. Of course. That some players you don't think I would, I would love to have, an, to have an MVP on my team forever. Right. I just don't know that that's realistic. No, it is. And what are you sacrificing to keep Josh Donaldson on the team? Yeah, but then the argument happens, what if you're a season ticket holder and you were promised a bill of goods that included Josh Donaldson as the focal point? Yeah. What does it say that after three short months of baseball, this front office comes to you and says, Jackie, we know you bought tickets and committed your whole family to this flex plan, but we're going to get some prospects. That's why I'm saying in the off season. In the off season. Okay, fair enough. Let him put enough. let him put butts in the seats now for the rest of the year. Hope hopefully maybe there's a couple moves coming and maybe the Jays get back in this thing and they compete so. and we get one more brilliant year of of the Toronto Blue Jays postseason baseball. And then in the off season we we reevaluate our situation and say, I don't know, this team's getting kinda old. Maybe we should adjust that. Well, you heard it here on the Jays Journal <laughs> podcast, officially and unofficially from Jackie Redman, sportscaster with Roger Sportsnet. That's okay. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's been a slice. For the record, everybody, I don't hate Josh Donaldson. He won't change my words. He's fantastic. I'm just being realistic. Thank you for having me.